It's time for another episode of your favourite cycling-related podcast, hosted by Matt Stevens. That's me. Hello and welcome. We've got an absolutely cracking episode of Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged for you today, because my guest is none other than Freddie Ovet. Now, what can I tell you about Freddie? Well, he's like a massive tree that stretches halfway around the world and his roots are in Scotland. He did most of his growing up in Australia and now he's blossoming in Spain. He was a runner like his Olympic champion dad and we chat all about his switch to road cycling with the AG2R or Agidizar development team and then on to BMC Racing or BMC. He's since become a privateer gravel racer. Now find out why that suits him so well, even if mud is his kryptonite. We talk about looking good and how that can make you perform better. Um, He's so handsome, in fact, that I tried to perform better while we were recording this pod and I failed. I tried to do a hair pretty much all the time. Um, But you won't get a sense of that, so I had to say it now. Um, And we discuss winter activities. Some road riders switch to cyclocross in the winter, but not Freddie. Stay tuned to find out more. Plus, Freddie has some great advice for any cyclist looking to supplement their training with a bit of running too. So, grab your headphones and your passport. You won't need it to listen to this podcast, but Freddie is so well-travelled, it seems necessary for some reason. And come on a solo privateer listening session with us, because this is the Freddie Ovet episode. You know it's that time again. Podcast. Freddie Ovet is one of those naturally talented athletes who could perhaps have made it in any sport they put their hand to. Now, in Freddie's case, he started out as a runner, just like his dad, Steve, who many of you will be familiar with. I certainly am. Then he switched to cycling, where he spent time with AG2R, BMC, and the Israel Cycling Academy development team, before moving on to the Legion of Los Angeles. Freddie evolved into a gravel privateer, and in our chat, we explore why going solo suits him perfectly. We also chat about his dislike for pro cycling stats, his complicated relationship with mud, and why he likes the name Nigel. Check it out. You'd have thought that I'd have known how these podcasts work. Um, The countdown is finished, and we have liftoff, because Freddie Ovet's on the pod. Welcome, Freddie. Thank you, mate. Very, uh, very excited to to chat with you for the next uh, hour or so. Yeah, so am I, mate. um, I've been looking forward to it. I've been wanting to have you on the pod for quite a while, and it... And when I messaged you the other day, um, and you were, I don't know what, I'm sure it was the case, but you said, oh, you're just listening to the Mads Pedersen podcast at the same time. I was like, oh, that's really nice. That's, so, so thank you. Mate, it was mad, actually. Like, I, I, um, I'm not a, honestly, and, and don't take offense to this, I'm not a massive podcast listener, actually. Like, I, I, I'm a big YouTube guy, so I actually watch a lot of podcasts. Um, but I was traveling back from the US, and I was... Um, yeah, I thought I'd better organize something to listen to. And I, uh, I came across your your podcast and I downloaded a bunch of them. First time, I'm not going to lie. And uh, yeah, Mads Pedersen uh, was uh, <laughs> was an absolute character. I, I love how he's like, he's like so Danish. Like, it's just like, yeah. you, you couldn't, you couldn't get any more straightforward than him. And I love that about him. And uh, it was just, it was a lot of fun. And I listened to that. And then the plane literally landed. I turned on my roaming and I uh, had a message asking you to ask me if I jump on the, the pod, which was obviously a huge honor and um, just a crazy coincidence. So um, meant to be, I guess. No, no, it's, it's really cool to have you on, mate. It's because uh, I've been aware of you, obviously, since you've 
come onto the onto the cycling scene and obviously with my commentary on on Zwift and you're a real character on on, on Zwift as well so you're always you're in in our in our universe and you've got these names swirling around and it, it's nice to have you on um especially doing what you're doing now but there's um I was just believe it or not mate I actually do a little bit of research um not lots because I just like the conversation <laughs> to go like I didn't know like what Mads Pedersen was to talk about but that that went off on so many different tangents but that's what's great about conversation isn't it but um so this will be quite tangential and I'm, I'm just intrigued for me to get to know you a bit more and also folks out there who listen to the pod just to get to know what you're all about really but before we do that because it looks as if we're both like maybe at the dentists you're in a very white background I'm 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 in a very small um aerodynamic hotel room um, nice. in London. Oh, I do I like an aerodynamic hotel room yeah it's just simple um, not yeah. a lot of services to put things on, but I tell you what, it's fast. Yeah. <laughs> so, so whereabouts are you, mate? Can you just describe your surroundings? It's funny you mentioned that about the dentist. I actually went two days ago and got absolutely smashed with uh, seven fillings. Oh, my uh, it God. To, yeah, it was meant to be like a checkup. My missus was like, yeah, no worries. You know, you're just going for a checkup. It's going to be fine. And I came out two hours later like an absolute state. <laughs> it was horrible. But... Uh, but that, that's done and dusted. I'm, I'm actually at home in uh, Denia in Spain, where I've been living for a year now. Um, Vuelta Spain is starting here tomorrow morning, which will be very exciting. Um, but where I am, I'm sat at my uh, living room table, which I spend a lot of time when I'm off the bike. Um, I've got six new Emma Bridgewater coffee cups in front of me that are um, going to be going to my sister who's getting married in a month. So I pretty sure she won't listen to this podcast but uh i've definitely just given it away otherwise big shout out to her yeah big shout out um and yeah lovely day as, as it usually is in this this part of the world and uh we'll uh, we'll be jumping on the bike and getting out there after this it is i've been to denia a lot actually um a mm. couple of actually a couple of swift academies a couple of training camps and and the welts are always as you say it's um i didn't realize it was denia tomorrow actually but um, it is a really nice neck of the woods. The roads are so quiet, aren't they? Just so, oh, so mate. quiet. Yeah, it, it's, uh, I, I was like pretty much every other cyclist on the planet. I was living in Drona before this. And um, Drona is like, yeah, second to none in terms of just everything, really. It, it's fantastic. But the, yeah, the, the difference I did notice here is, is, yeah, you're right, just so much more quieter. Um, you, you really feel like you can get away from things when, when you're on the bike here, which I which I um, really uh, need, I think, as a, as, as a person and cyclist. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoy the, uh, riding around here. Nice one, mate, nice one. So I was going to ask you what you've been up to recently, and I'm just trying to think of the best way to, to talk about stuff because I was I, – I follow you basically through your Instagram stuff, and I think that's common mm. on a lot, a lot of people in, in you know, whether you're interested in a person, whether you watch the YouTube stuff or just on – on TV, but I follow you really, and your your I've followed your career primarily through Instagram and commentating on, on what you do. But what I'd like to know, actually, I want to let's rewind and actually get to the present day in a linear fashion, if we can do that, um, because you've it's fair to say you've, you're a bit of a globe trotter, aren't you? You've settled in different places, you've moved around a lot. So as best as you can, um, can you just 
give us a little bit of your historical timeline. Like, where, where, I know you were, you were born in Scotland, but then where did you go? You weren't born in Scotland. You no, were. I was, but it, 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 it's, it's going to be a long process. I even All right, well, briefly, just but give yeah. me a whistle-stop tour, just so people have, like, get, get a sense of who you are and where you've been to the present day. That would be really nice if you don't I mind. Think, um, like a, a, a funny way that my friends describe me now is like, I'm born in Scotland and I'm a, born in Scotland, considered myself Australian, dating a, a Spanish girl, living in Spain, racing predominantly, well, racing globally, representing sponsors, mainly US based. Um, but yeah, I, I was born in Dumfries, Scotland. Um, my both parents are English. Um, I spent seven years in Scotland. I don't remember much. So I'm, I'm glad I didn't choose that as my hometown uh, for the quiz later on. Okay. For, for, <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, as you do as a seven year old kid, um, my parents decided that, uh, they, that Scotland is probably not the best place to bring up kids in terms of an outdoorsy sort of uh, lifestyle, which we all seem to be very keen on. And, um, they, they, packed up shop and, and shifted to, to Australia, which is obviously looking back um, for them, a, a massive um, decision, um, leaving behind their, their uh, family and friends. And um, yeah, I grew up in uh, Noosa, Queensland, um, quite a hotbed for, for endurance sports in general. Um, but I was also at the time going to boarding schools in the country of, of Australia. Um, since I was eight years old, I was in boarding school. Um, so that was pretty, uh, pretty quick learning experience in, in growing up and looking after myself. Um, at that point I was running and I was sort of one of, one of the best junior runners in Australia. And I, I managed to get a, a scholarship to the university of Oregon where I spent a year running, uh, where I picked up an injury, which led me to cycling as, as you've probably heard this story a thousand times before with, uh, you know, cyclists, uh, with previous sort of, uh, sporting, uh, prowess in, in different sports. And, uh, yeah, I, I started cycling really well. Uh, I, I, my first race, I did really well at the national under 23 championships. Baden cook spotted me, sent me a message a month later saying, um, what do you think about joining, uh, as you deserve under 23 team and moving to France, like basically in a few weeks. And I said, yes, cause you know, I was a, <laughs> you know, just wide eyed kid at that point thinking that, you know, this is my step to make it as a, as a professional. So I lived in France for a year um, and then moved on to the Seg Racing Academy, which brought me to Girona, where I spent five years of my life uh, racing sort of with, with all sorts of teams, trying to find my, uh, my place in the sport, I guess. Um, and, and then, yeah, recently uh, relocated with my partner to, to Denia uh, because of her. She's a doctor here at the local hospital. And, um, yeah, that's, that's where we're at currently. Wow. So is, uh, and you're 20, 29 now? 29 i'm 30 in january it's going to be a it's going to be a rough day no you're gonna well let's not let's not go into this of age you know you're looking at um someone who yeah um yeah in the autumn no not in the autumn i'd like to the early i don't know the end of july maybe i don't know august you're in the lombardia of your of your aging career maybe i was i was i was more like maybe the tour of denmark <laughs> Not quite Lombardy because oh, that's yeah, the Lombardy is like one of the most beautiful races of the year, and I was trying to trying to big you up a bit. But all right, we'll go Thanks, into mate. Denmark. No, no, it was more the uh, the timing in the in the season rather than the look of the race. Uh, uh, fair anyway, but uh, yeah, sorry, I've lost my train of thought. But yeah, you've you've, you've been around a lot and. 
looking back through the teams that you, you actually sticking with cycling for a bit. I mean, and like you're quite right. There's so many people actually that. So we've done about 110 pods now, and that's a very small. Um, I mean, it's a very small part of our community. Um, most of them reasonably high profile, but I would say. I don't know, 20% of those people started cycling because they did something else first. And mm. I'm one of them. I was, um, I wanted to be a footballer. Mm. I was enormously deluded, but was a, good, a reasonable runner, a county standard, national standard runner, injured, moved into cycling. But it is massively common, isn't it? But here you are, this is your, this is your life now. But um, that those few years in, in, in Girona for you, because you, you were, you, what was it like when, when you look back because I asked this question specifically because of your dad was one of my heroes growing up because I, I, I did athletics. I was 800 metres, 1500 metres cross country. Um, and your dad and Sebco at the time were icons of mine when I was growing up in the late 70s, early 80s, when I was actually quite a good young runner. Um, and I know your dad was quite an individual soul and moved away from team sports because he wanted to focus on himself. And just looking back at your your career, apart from two years with with Legion, um, you didn't spend long with one team. Can you ex- mm. maybe look back and explain that for you? Because it, it's it's just an interesting one for me. It was quite. Um, did you never really find your your a uh, place where you're comfortable? What, what was it? Yeah, I, it's a, it's a it's a nice correlation you mentioned with my my father because I think we share that sort of same mentality, honestly. And um, you know, coming from a, a running background. Uh, you know, all, all you have to think about is yourself and, and, and how you can best prepare for a race to, to cross the finish line first. And I, and I showed sort of prowess as a cyclist and I got thrown into this team sport. And as you know, you know, the French uh, are a very proud culture. And, 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 and that is my first uh, team was quite shocking, honestly, to, to experience sort of team dynamics and, and in quite a strict way. Yeah, um, and and I really, I, I definitely struggled to to understand it, but I eventually got through it and, and sort of made uh, sense of it and, and had a decent sort of season in the end. Um, but you're right, I I I, if, I, I despise pro cycling stats because it, it's kind of like it, it never tells the full story, and 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 I hate when people sort of say, "Oh, so and so," and they let me let me look at him at pro cycling stats, so I then know yeah. what his story is. And it's like, mate, yeah, you know, it's it's not really fair unless you know your name's Remco Evnapol or something. You know, it, it's there's there's a lot more to it. And um, if you look at my pro cycling stats, you're probably like, "Geez, this guy's just useless." You know, he's he's sort of struggling to finish races. He's he's bouncing around teams and he's all over the place. Even though there was some sort of highlights in there, the, it, it was still um, for someone I think with with the quite a higher level. Um, it, it, it didn't tell the full story, and the story basically was that I just really struggled to, to fit in, um, I struggled to find my place in a sport that uh, most of the sort of management and the teams were telling me, I, I, you know, you should be this, you know, you're able to do this in in sort of training or testing, and and why why aren't you able to do this in races and instead of sort of perhaps guiding me a little better and, and, and sort of teaching me or filling in the gaps that I missed out perhaps when I was younger when I was running instead. Um, so I was sort of constantly chasing sort of the ideal setup, I think, um, and, and, and sort of that place in the sport and never really found it, honestly. Um, I think I was really close to finding it with BMC, believe it or not. When I was a stagiaire right. there, it was probably the place I felt most 
that I fit in and, 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 and everyone kind of understood who I was and that was starting to show I had a really nice last experience with them at Japan Cup and but then the team folded and, and that, that was you know at the end of the sort of story for me with them and um, and then yeah Israel was a whirlwind um, you know that's a really interesting team dynamic and uh, it eventually led me to, to sort of seeking out um, somewhere I could be more of an individual uh, which is where Allegiant came in yeah. um, and, and they, they were really the perfect transition slash springboard um, in, in allowing me to, to, to be this so-called privateer uh, racer which is it took, it took me a bloody long way and time to get here mate but it, it's it's where i'm supposed to be and and uh, and uh managing my own ship and and it's uh yeah it, it, it's the start of a of a sort of journey that, that now i now have control on and and i can uh, be happy with it's really really interesting you say that and and actually the team that and we had um oh it's a couple of years ago now we had justin on and um for different reasons um more, more to do with um, you know racial profiling and stuff like that back in the day. Um, the, the reasons that Justin didn't fit in or didn't feel that he was accepted when he went across to Europe. Very different than you, but there are similarities in relation to not finding a sense of place. Mm. I know that's what the Legion team was built about. And the, the fact that you found that it was a transition there is really interesting. And it fits in with what he was saying a couple of years ago about what the team wanted to do. They wanted to start from scratch, do things differently, build a different ideology away from the traditions of European cycling, which is good, but also can be quite dogmatic, um, especially some of the more traditional French setups and stuff, which have been established for 30 years in some cases, like AG2R, as you know, was yeah. a team that, start, that was starting around the time I wanted to turn pro in like 1991, 1992. Been around yeah. for a very long time, and I was part of the French amateur setup and been up against what you're up against. And it's, um, if it, it can work for some people, but it, a lot of people, it just isn't. It isn't right because there's, there's not a much lateral play or flexibility in relation to the way they do things at all, is there? No, <laughs> I think I think actually, it sounds like I'm old, but I think I was actually part of that last sort of under twenty three generation that that sort of wasn't really pro, so to speak. Yeah. You have like these guys that are now like uh, action or on the FTJ Conti team, and they're living in Girona and they're paid super well, and then they fly to races and they fly home. Um, I, I, I wasn't, we weren't able to do that. I, I was living in a, in a team house or a team apartment. My, my roommate actually was Benoit Cosnefoy of all people. And, um, yeah, we'd, we'd go down and have lunch and dinner every day. We'd train together every day. Uh, we'd socialize on the weekends. Like that, that was it. You know, there was no, obviously going home. I was, I was Australian, so I couldn't go home, but it was like our way or the highway mate you know if, if you're join, if you want to join our team then you've basically got to become french and i i perhaps wasn't willing to become french yeah and and as soon as they get sort of a sniff of that then they're like well we're going to find someone that that is you know and and if you're a bit hard-nosed and stubborn person like i am then uh yeah you'll, you'll probably get found out regardless of how well you're riding it, it's more like a pride and, and culture sort of thing. And I just, as a 20-year-old kid, I just really struggled to get my head around that. Um, now it's different. Now, now, now uh, you know, uh, power numbers and results sort of you, these teams can't deny it now. And, and regardless if, you know, 
I think Ben O'Connor is a great example. I don't think his yeah. French is super great, um, but you know he is what it is. He's he's a superstar, and then they're willing to have to to adapt to the times, um, and, yeah. and that that change is, is quite recent, I think. Yeah, no, it's it, it is an interesting one. We've got um, and your your time in the sport as well, and your involvement in some of the big teams and moving in moving into Legion as well. And again, this is a common theme with younger riders that I have on, have on the podcast, but not so much younger riders, riders who are still professional, is this big change, not just in the, in the dynamic of feeder teams, et cetera, where there's far more structure than there used to be. But mm. also just, we're, on, a, we're on, the, on the cusp, aren't we, on, on the vanguard right now. And this, I think this is across all of elite sport and that we've un, we're, we're unlocking or have partially unlocked more than we ever have done before the potential of human physiology and psychology and the standard now, and, and we're going to touch on gravel in a minute, but the standard that you have ridden through and tried to take the next step up to is probably the highest it's ever been. I mean, it's kind of maybe easy, lazy thing to say, but the evidence is just there, especially yeah. when you look, look at guys and women who have been racing and now in the late twenties, early thirties, they're like, what on earth? How do we What's going on? adapt or die? Basically yep. is, is, yeah. Um, uh, having known, knowing a few of the very top guys and, and seeing how they prepare, I, I can't see anything more that, that can be done to, to yeah. reach peak physical performance. Like Remco is a great friend of mine now, and, and he is literally on altitude camps every month of the year, just maybe except for November, December. And and, and he, he knows, uh, you know, the 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 impact that has on, on his family and being away, but he also yeah. knows that that, that is what, nece- what is necessary to produce the results that, that someone like he he does. And it's not only guys at that very top level, it's also the guys a little bit below and the guys a little bit below. They're also at those altitude camps all year. They're also spending you know hundreds of days away from home and family in order just to be make selection for, for grand tours or things like that. And uh, it, it's a very... Yeah, strict, uh, mundane lifestyle that that uh, young juniors are now entering into when they decide that they want to be professional. There's not much leeway to sort of be a human, really, uh, on a normal level and experience things in your 20s that, that most people do. Um, but then most people in their 20s don't get to experience uh, as many places as, as these guys do, traveling the world and, and you know, seeing spectacles like, like we're going to see tomorrow here in Denia, the Volta Espana. So it's a, it's a sort of, you know, catch 22, so to speak that, it, you know, you, you, you sacrifice a lot, but then you, you live a lot and, and it's not for everyone. It's not, yeah. but, um, but you know, it, the decisions being made for these juniors before they probably have uh, time to think about it in most cases. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, some of the performance with, with performances we've seen in the, um, the the name of the lad escapes me. The, the young lad that's just won the junior road championship or the junior worlds, and then the oh, junior yeah. young biking. Um, and and yeah. the young Mexican lad that I was commentating yeah. on today just won Lavanier. That's so good to see, isn't it? Yeah, it's but these these, these athletes are going to be snaffled up. There's no doubt going to be paid very well, which is fine. But um, but you, you you don't sell sell your soul is a wrong thing because this is what you this is your pursuit. But actually, then carrying it on and living that lifestyle, it's enormously sacrificial, isn't it? And and I I think one thing that we'll find out 
maybe in the next decade, well, it will be in the next decade, is the longevity mm. of this new generation of riders. What's your thought mm. on that, actually? Do you think they're going to be fine, or do you think we'll just see riders not so much burning out, but losing the desire to continue for so long because of the level that you have to maintain? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I don't like it when I hear that, you know, that, you know, oh, you know, they, they can't keep this going, they can't keep this lifestyle going, that, you know, they'll be done by their 30, and it's like, yeah. mate, <clears throat> if, if they're doing as well as they are doing now and they're 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 clearly enjoying the process that they're doing and and i don't see any reason guys like remco are going to get to 30 and think oh that's enough you know i I don't like winning anymore i don't like you know uh, i I just i I can't see them slowing down Uh, and and once you've lived a life uh for so long it it becomes normal becomes your routine and it becomes something that you're totally accustomed to and you don't see any reason to do anything else and i don't see any reason why these guys can't have really long careers you know financially it's also great for most of them as well and yeah there's probably not much else that they could sort of uh do uh, maybe you know and and quickly pick up if if they decide to to call it quit so um yeah I, i hope that they're around for as long as possible because i think the racing that we're seeing currently in the world tour is is just insane it's, it's exciting, just like, isn't it? yeah you, you know it obviously commentating and uh it, it, you can't miss anything now as a fan of the sport it's just incredible so um what these what these guys are doing at the world tour level is is incredible and i have nothing but like just massive respect for for the lives they live and and for just putting everything into it purely for for our entertainment you know it's yeah it's awesome man yeah it, it, it's a privilege to um yeah, it's a privilege to be a fan, <clears throat> actually, in this generation, especially to do what I do. Like I said, yeah. just commentating on the Tour de Lavenir and to watch that race for the first time ever from start to, well, the whole eight days and just the chaos that the racing was chaotic, but beautifully chaotic. Yeah. And, the, and these youngsters just going for it and me thinking, I'm just, just ripping up the rule book. I'm trying to tell people what's happening in the race and it's just what I just don't understand. <laughs> but what I can say is this, this is absolutely brilliant and they are at, they're yeah. riding their hearts out. And, and what's more, the last thing you want is for me to be able to tell you textbook, oh yeah, that's going to happen. But the fact that I, I now don't really know what's going to go on, I think is just that's, okay, we've hit this beautiful sweet spot. And that's what sport is about. It's about trying to, not trying to predict the chaos, but as an athlete, trying to cut your way through the chaos and emerge as one of the best is like, well, that's just fantastic. I think I think you probably were able to tell the script maybe five, six, seven years ago. You're, oh, totally, you're yeah, able totally, to, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Like you were like, well, their break's going to go, they're going to hang around and then they're going to go full gas. And, and uh, you know, I've even heard some of the guys say this, that, that now if, if one of the big guys decides to go, everyone has to go. And, and if you don't, you get left behind <clears> Yep. And you just don't know when that's going to happen anymore. And I think that's the, yeah, that's the beauty that these like, these big guys are, are now, no, they no longer have like a leash around them at, at any point. They, they're just like, mate, you, you, you can win any way you want. You've proven that. Just, just go and do whatever you want, basically. And it's just like epic. Like we saw in the world when like Vanderpol's opening up at like 100K to go. It's like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, like, here we go. You know, like, no. you're going to have this for the next. Uh, two and a half, three hours. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I probably, I, I wouldn't want to be there experiencing the pain of, of, of everyone behind, but to, to watch it, it's, it's, uh, it's just spectacular. No, it certainly is. It certainly is. Now, just, I mean, I know 
Um, again, from just looking at what you get up to, you, I know you go, you go out at Rimco quite a lot. You go out with with Matcher, building your own condition towards what you're you're doing yourself. So, how's the how's this year gone in terms of the, the gravel the, the gravel scene for you and uh, and what? Because um, that scene again, I keep an eye on it. I've commentated on the worlds last year, but I've done a little bit, not competitively, just for fun myself. And I must admit, I flip. I absolutely love it. I did a gravel ride called the Stone Circle Hot Chili Ride, which we made a film on, on, on Sigma, and it was seven hours, 20 minutes around Stonehenge. Do you know what? It was one of the best days on a bike I've ever had. It was, I, was at, I was utterly screwed at the end of it, but it was brilliant. So yeah. what actually, so I'll rephrase my question. What drew you particularly to gravel then? Because it's dynamically quite different, isn't it? Um, the distances you're doing, bike handling and stuff, you're on your own. What drew you to it specifically? It's funny that uh, like little synopsis you had of your gravel ride that that basically is, is why I do it. it, it right. It's it's bloody hard. Um, you're on your own. You have to be self sufficient. If usually the the creme comes to the top at the end of the race, uh, you know the guys that have prepared well, and you just have an abundance of stories after the race. That there's just like <laughs> there's been so much that's happened. You've you've had like you've had a lot of like turmoil that you've had to get through mechanically or nutrition or there's, there's always something with these races, you know? Um, and I, I kind of, uh, when I was racing with Legion, I was doing the crits, which I really enjoyed, but let's be honest, I'm not, I'm not a crit rider that that's not, um, what I've, that's not what my strengths are, as a rider are, but I did enjoy them. But, um, I had a friend, an ex running friend that was doing gravel at the time. And, and I was staying with him while I was in uh, Colorado and he was like, Hey mate, I'm doing, doing this race called steamboat next weekend. And it's a pretty oh, big yeah. gravel race. You should do it. <clears throat> and, and I did. And I, I finished fifth, uh, fifth. Yeah. And it was like, I just had the, I just had a great time. I just, I, I loved like the days before the expo, um, the, the mass participation of like interacting with just like people who are just trying to finish the event and not just sort of pros that are hoping that they, you know, finish top five or 10 or, you know, this and that. There's it, just like a, there's something really refreshing about just being with people that are just doing it for the sense of doing it and not doing it because we're like paid to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think I, that sort of harks back to my running days where you, you line up on the same start line as everyone else and, yeah, you, you you might be in the Berlin Marathon field where Eli Kipchoge breaks the world record, but there's also old mate at the back who's take takes six and a half hours to finish because he you know has a stress fracture in his leg and he's just trying to get it done. And and there's so many reasons why I've been drawn to gravel racing, off road racing, or however you want to put it. But uh, I think the main thing is that I can just be me and 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 do things on my own terms, and no one is gonna uh be angry at me for, for doing that and, and and then i can just hang around with a lot of like-minded happy good people yeah. that are doing uh doing the sport because they want to not because they have to yeah i can it's quite uh it sounds like it well, it well i found it quite liberating actually and it did remind me of when i was riding as a youngster uh in in the 1980s on a winter bike just going out all day on my bike you know when we gravel wasn't really a thing the only thing we had really was cyclocross but nobody really did that but you just go out and on a on an adventure and also I've, i did i've done a few half marathons when i was a kid as well um and just and my dad was a did marathons so i'm a, did a lot of running but 
the fact that you would start and you would do your thing and then there'd be people dressed as Big Ben coming in three hours later. <laughs> so that, yeah. it's enormously, do you know what I mean? There's this, but it, it's the same, but different, but there's, so that to me, that's super inclusive and that sounds kind of cheesy, but it is, it's inclusive and it, and it, and it offers up an entrance to anybody and, mm. and these mass participation, mass participation events, you can, you know, start on the same line as the best riders in the world, but just do your own thing and nobody's right. really worried and you can have a great time. And, must be it's quite must be quite fulfilling it is and i think like what i've learned this year is that like to 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 the normal person where the pros are are just they're just fast you know yeah they're they're like they they don't really care if you're winning or you're seventh or your threshold is six and a half watts a kilo and his is 5.8 they're you're you're just like you're somehow an inspiration to them and it and it's mainly just because that you're doing it at a really good level and, and they don't yeah. really care what that level is. And, and, it, and it's even better if like they, they like how your bike looks and they like how you dress and, and they like sort of the aesthetics of how you present yourself. And then, and then that, that is kind of part of, of, of my job now is, yeah. is, you know, these, these brands have partnered with me. So then I can therefore promote it so people can buy it. And, and once you understand that it, it, it's, it's a business and not just, going up trying to win races that's that's obviously always going to be the main goal to win races but doing it in a way that uh, uh, aesthetically people are pleased by it um and i think gravel really encourages that that you can like do things your own way with flair and, and and sort of style how you want and and that's always been really important to me like aesthetics uh, not just recycling but running and everything i really really just enjoy product and and, yeah. and, and and trying to look as best as I can. And even though maybe a lot of people think I don't look good, as long as I think I look good, then then that's just, it's just a really nice way to sort of uh, prepare for, for any training session or, or race. And um, oh, I, I could, yeah. do you know what? I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, like cycling, like anything. Like when I was playing football, Back in the back in the day, um, forty years ago, um, and my dad said, "Always clean your boots before a match." I'm like, "Why? They're going to get muddy." He said, "Because you want to look good at the start." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, right." Yeah. So, clean my boots, even though within seconds they get covered in mud. It's just like you want to set set the scene, and you want to be, you know, you want to be in the zone. So, start as you mean to go on, and 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 again, buy my first few bits of cycling kit that were weren't secondhand and wanting to look nice. I mean, it is. We are. As a, as a as a species, as, a, as you know, humans like to be told, "Hey, that looks nice," mm. you know. That is, we we like um, redemption and, and we like affirmation, um, whether we like it or not. We do on multiple levels, and having a really nice bike and looking nice on your bike and going a bit quick, and other people look at it, and think, "Wow, I want I want a piece of that." Just, yeah, no, that's completely, when you when you break it down, it's actually it's completely normal human behavior, isn't it? But here you are earning a living out of it, you know? Yeah. It, it's kind of like an unspoken thing as well. Like you, you like, you're not supposed to say that you want to, <laughs> no, you're, not. you're not, you're not supposed <laughs> to say that you want to ride fast. It, it's meant to become so natural and, Oh mate, I just like happened to pick out this outfit and I happened to ride really fast. Like, geez, like what are the odds, you know? Yeah. But, uh, I'm, I'm really more than happy to admit that I, I really care about how things look. And, and, uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about it and, uh, working with, with, with my brands and, and, and coming up with ideas and um, they, they seem to be all for it. And dude, cycling's like the easiest 
well, it's the best sport to like worry about how you look because it's just so many different avenues that you can like accessorize, so to speak, you know, with, with, <laughs> with, with kit and, and bike and the, helmet we, and sunglasses the, the, and shoes. Sick, sick is, sport is a bike shop, mate. So, we, you know, you're preaching to the converted here, you know. So. Yeah, well, there you go. Go and hit up Sigma Sport. They, they, they should partner with me, there, I guess. So I'm just singing their, singing their song right now. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really easy to – well, it's really easy to go down that rabbit hole is what I'm yeah. trying to say. And I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm well and truly down it. And I think it's uh, the, the space that I'm in now uh, really sort of uh, complements that. Um, yeah. and, and I'm able to sort of, like you said, you know, you follow my journey on, on Instagram and that's kind of um, the, the only way you can follow it um, because Gravel's yet to sort of really hit uh, TV or, yeah. or live channels, which I'm sure it will um, quite soon, I think. Um, so that is the only avenue that people can really follow along. So, um, obviously Instagram is picture and video. So if you're not looking good or trying to look good, then you're probably not going to be very interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I've got a lot of people behind the scenes, uh, that have to work on this image, uh, nowadays, mate. Um, a lot of CGI, <laughs> a lot of AI goes into making me people watch my videos. Otherwise, Matt, they you're, you're one of my favorites on Instagram. I, I love your, you're just like straight up quirkiness and, and your, your hair dry in the Jiro. That's one of the best ones. <laughs> your hotel hair dry videos. Now you got to have, you got to have, you got to have a bit of fun, especially when you're on the road for such a long time. You just got to, yeah, you, just you got to have, do. A, have a little bit of fun, mate. But uh, just on the, on the on the on the on on the gravel thing again. Um, forgive me, I've not written down what race it was. It was one of your last races, but you're in the you're in the lead group, and then you hit a really muddy section, and you didn't know how to clean your bike, yeah, uh, or get the really <laughs> thick. I, th- I think. Um, Nathan Haas used the phrase earlier in the year. Is it was it the waffle ride? I can't remember what ride it was, where peanut butter kind of mud. It looked like the kind of mud uh, that literally. So what happened? That was, there? Um, that what? was unbound. Um, oh, that unbound. Where, where, they, where they all had the massive. There was a massive uh, debacle there with uh, yeah. the, the whole the whole peloton having to go through mud. But I was injured at that time, so I didn't do it. But um, but yeah, this was at the gravel worlds, not the actual gravel worlds, but it's the US, uh, I guess, version of gravel worlds as they right, like okay. to title all their sports. Because when, when you uh, said you go into worlds, yeah, I was like, it's not, it's not the <laughs> world. <laughs> Just, uh, this, race, nice way. <laughs> this is the worst like race to do, to like describe to people that they're like, oh, what, what do you got coming up? I'm like, oh, mate, I've got gravel worlds. Like, oh, gravel worlds, like it's a big one. I'm like. Well, it's not actually the Gravel Worlds. It's just called Gravel Worlds, and it's not the World Championship. I'm representing myself, and they're just like, "What?" Like, I'm like, "Yeah, it's, they, they, they need to change the title." But uh, the, you know, yeah, the US are, are quite stuck in their ways with some things. So um, it's the Gravel Worlds, but not the Gravel Worlds. Okay. So what and, what happened? Because you 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 got taken out by a, a serious mud situation, didn't you? Yeah, well, I think the entire race did. Um, it, it, there was like a, a like a heavy, heavy, heavy thunderstorm the night before. It was in Nebraska, and then they never have thunderstorms that time of year. Wow. Um, and we woke up, and it was like torrential rain. Everyone was like, geez, this is, this is going to be interesting. And they updated the course a tiny bit, but not really. There's no way they can just go out and drive 250K the morning of the race when we're starting at 6.30 to, to check that everything's okay. Um, but anyways, the race unfolded and eventually got down to four of us, um, after sort of four hours or so, and the conditions were fine, but we, we hit this, I, I would say it's probably, it's probably a three K stretch that as soon as we hit it, uh, it was, yeah, it was kind of like 
it was this mud that had set just a little bit, but it was like so like thick still that the guy in front of you would like, he'd like flick up like a, like a cake of mud. Not, right. It wasn't just like, yeah, it wasn't just like a stream of mud from the, from the wheel in front of you. It was like, you were getting like headshots of like clunks of mud, <laughs> which I've never, I've never experienced before. And I, I, maybe the, the other screen knew what this meant, but, but my, uh, my specialized crux was rolling perfectly fine. Yeah. And, and there was two guys that were sort of chasing us that, that straight away had to stop. Um, but we got to literally the last hundred meter meters of this three K stretch and it went uphill. So we, we lost a lot of speed. And when we lost speed, our bikes just sunk into right. the mud. And, um, yeah, we picked, we all three, four of us picked up our bikes and ran to the road where we were, the next section was. And, and we immediately began to sort of clean the bikes and I didn't really, I knew I had to sort of clear the, the stays and the, the um, you know, front and everything, but I, they, they just did it so quickly. Like they, they did it within sort of 30 seconds and it took me probably a minute or so more to, to just get the bike moving. Um, and that was the race. Those three got together, sure. realized I wasn't with them and, and I had to ride, I think, oh, I don't know how long it was, mate. Maybe 120K alone to oh hold on to force. Oh, God. That's yeah, it was, brutal. It was, uh, it was a mental exercise, which these gravel races always tend to be. Um, but yeah, like, like I said in my Instagram post, that was the first time I've had to like clean my bike during a race. And maybe I think for those three guys, it wasn't because they did unbound earlier. And uh, it, it's something I need to get better at, I guess. And, and it, as, as, as each of these races, there's always something. There's always something that yeah. you like pick up or you learn because um, you have to be self-sufficient. And um, yeah, after that, I, I really, um, yeah. Just honed in on, on how I can make that process as quickly as possible. I was carrying a mud stick. I was carrying a mud stick. Um, mud, right. Okay. Well, hold on a minute. Yeah. I've never heard of a mud stick. What is yeah, a mud stick? Can I buy them at Mate. So all it is is like it's like a wooden a wooden ruler that you have at school. You know, like to do your okay. measuring. That's basically all it is. And um, they actually get, gave it give it to you in the in the bag when you're picking up your numbers the day before which is obviously a pretty uh, strong sign that you're going to maybe have to use it okay um and it's just it's just scraping off the mud of your wheels and and um around your cranks and and your and your chain rings it's it's just the build-up is incredible um but it, it works it's just that you need to um if you're trying to race to win you need to be doing it as quickly as possible for for the normal person there yeah, they can take the time a little bit more. So now you see, it's almost like the thing is, there's two ways to look at this. There's a video there. There's a there's a nice sixty second reel of you cleaning your bike as quickly as possible. <laughs> but then you're giving away trade secrets. But I think it get a load of views, or you just do it yourself secretly. There must be some sort of, you know, like mechanics wash bikes in the, in the pro mechanics wash bikes. They're not muddy, but they clean them. And there's a method, isn't there? We're whatever, there and they, they're done. Bang, and then the next one. So you need to get this method down, don't you? I do. I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm notorious. I think Anna Grudis, the SRAM mechanic that helps us at our races, probably would say that I am the worst mechanic uh, that she like deals with out of athletes. Like I, I, I'm, I'm wow. someone that once I once I know that it's out of my limits, I don't touch it anymore. I'm like, all right, like I, I I'm, <laughs> I'm not fucking this up. Like I'm giving it to a professional, you know. 
Yeah. And, I, and I think she at least appreciates that, that I don't like ruin the equipment we're given. But um, I've had to learn a lot this year with bike maintenance and just general yeah, yeah, yeah. things, you know, because most races we go to, you know, you're doing your own mechanics. Um, but yeah, the, the mud cleaning is, is, is becoming a serious topic uh, in, in gravel racing. Um, and, and some guys are really good at it. Some guys are not, and uh, that's the difference. So, um, yeah, people, people seem to really enjoy that photo of me, um, trying to clean my bike. <laughs> I've still got well, it. In my, I've still got it in my, my head. It's I just yeah. look, looking at it and thinking, Oh my God, that looks awful. Yeah. Like, where people, do you start? People, I think like when you're scrolling Instagram, it, it's like a normal shot of me riding on a gravel. They're like, yeah, mate, we've seen that before. But that one, they like had to stop and like, geez, what's going on here? Um, yeah. so yeah, it was an experience, but it, it was, it was a positive one in the end. It was, yeah. there was guys that had to run that entire three K stretch I heard. So, uh, could have been a lot worse. Well, um, we're going to move on. Um, and I'm going to, I think Niall, um, is probably going to be ready with the jingle. Um, because I don't know if, you, if you've done any uh, research at all, but Freddie, it's time for the Noosa quiz. Yo, yo, what's up? You're ready? Uh -huh. Let's do it. Uh -huh. Turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. What time? Time for the Noosa quiz. There we That's go. That, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> that is uh, Niall, our, our esteemed producer, uh, knocked up our jingles. Um, and that's, so good. It, it's a work of art, but each one's obviously different. There's the word Noosa yeah, inserted. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's actually lovely that. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty chuffed with that. So it's a multiple choice quiz based loosely around the town. Well, it's I didn't realise, I've, I've obviously heard of Noosa, but I didn't realise that it's more of a region, isn't it? An area, mm. so kind of. So I couldn't find a Noosa Wikipedia page on its own. So I just did general kind of research. But, yeah. So whereabouts in Noosa did you actually grow up in? What part, before we go into the quiz? We actually, I actually grew up in a place called Karoi, which is the hinterland of Noosa. But um, you're right, N Noosa heads. Yeah. Um, it, it's it, it's kind of uh, when we say Noosa, it's actually not um, it's not actually the official sort of name of the place. It's Noosa heads, but it's just yeah, the, the general sort of beachy area, and it, it makes up of a few places. But if if you did any research on Karoi, you would have found absolutely nothing because it's a tiny okay. little tiny little town in the hinterland just outside of noosa so um okay yeah well yeah it's yeah it was called noosa until about 1996 or something then they turned it to noosa heads didn't they apparently it's That's only right. yeah in the last 30 years that they've changed it and i did learn something so i need spectacles so I've, I've written this myself over breakfast um okay um I wouldn't say this is an easy one, but I have a feeling you might know this one. So we'll warm you up gently with the first question. Remember, it's multiple choice, unless you know the answer straight away. Um, Mate, I'm not, I'm not confident, I'll be honest. I'm not confident. Like I said, I'm a bit of a nomad. And, and I was, even though I consider Noosa home, I actually have hardly spent any time there. So okay, well, this, that's this could be pretty embarrassing. It's, it's, it's a fun quiz. And worst case scenario, you can have a guess. And also, on one of the questions, you can... Well, it's too complicated to phone a friend, but you, we can eliminate two answers. So let, let's go with number one. Right. What does Noosa actually mean? Um, it's a, The original word in Aboriginal was uh, Nuthera or Gnuthuru. But what does um, Noosa actually mean? Does it mean A, of the ocean, B, light or brightness, C, 
um, shadow or shade or sea of the earth? I think it's uh, shadow and shade, actually. That your final answer? Mate, lock it in. It's correct to Mundo. Yes. Well done, mate. Oh, Get in, you were son. Very sure there. So there you go. 100% start. Um, I'll, I'll so cop you- that. Using using simple mathematics. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. Right. I don't know why it's, it's called shadow or shade actually. Because yeah. uh, it's a yeah very beachy. Uh, I tell you why. I, I, I did a, a further bit of research. The, the reason they think it's called shadow or shade was because the, the very tall trees used to cast shadows and shades in the beachy areas. So there was bright. The, there's a lot of shade, really long uh, shadows caused by the tall trees, apparently. Right. So that's... Those that's trees must have been hunted uh, down because there's not really much shade uh, on the beaches anymore. But Oh, no, it was deforested by the uh, people who came in and took over. Um, oh, right. So uh, it was a, known for its timber, so it has been okay. enormously and unfortunately deforested. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So you're quite hey, you, right you, you, uh, You're like a... So you know a lot about Noosa right now. I know, mate, I'm the, the local <laughs> <laughs> Noosa expert. Uh, this is a little bit more tangential. Question two. Noosa has a large koala population, okay? But my question to you, Freddie Ovet, is what was the name of the koala bear, uh, the character of the koala bear, in voiced by Eddie, Eddie Izzard in the 2006 <laughs> animated movie, The Wild. Okay, so there's a 2006 animated movie, which you might have seen as a kid, actually, because you're only a young man. Um, what was the name of the koala in the film? Was it A, Kevin, B, Nigel, C, Pete, oh. or D, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> I love... I actually, I love all those names, yeah. but uh, the one that stands out is, is Nigel, just because it's, yeah, that's, that's the, the name that you sort of, uh, it's a bit of an insult actually, isn't it, to be called a Nigel, but um, I, I don't know, it just sticks out, so let's go with Nigel, or Kevin, Kevin doesn't really go with koala, does it? Oh, it does, no. a little bit, Kevin the koala, but still, Kev. Oh, I do like Kevin the Koala, actually. I'm I, I going would, gut instinct. I'm going nut, I, gut instinct. I'm going Nigel. I, I would stick with that, mate, because it is correct. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. Nigel the Koala, voiced by Eddie Izzard in the 2000s. Nigel 2006. the Koala. Let's go. Yeah. I watched that. I, I went to, I saw that with my lad. He was six at the time. Um, and it was actually really fun. It's a great, great movie. Check it out. Um, I will, you know, mate. Yeah. Download yeah. it. Um, right. Nigel. Like two it. out of two, this is good. This is good. So right at the moment, you're in the league group in the next big gravel event, and there's no mud. There's no, no mud. Muds. Oh, mate. You're there. That's what it's... they always say, though, but there always is. There could be some mud coming up with these next two questions, pal. Yeah. Here we go. Stuck. All right. Um, this is quite an interesting one. Question three. What country's large influx into the Noosa area in the 19th century led to the dialect Noosish? Okay. So, what country's large influx in the 19th century led to the to the dialect Noosish? Was it A Denmark, B Sweden, C Finland, D Norway? And it was a combination of one of those languages and Latin that actually led to that the Noosish dialect, which I think is nearly died out now. Mm. Oh, mate. 
That's yeah. uh, that's super random. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. What is it? Dan- Danish, Swedish. So, yeah. So the, the the dialect is called Nusish. Um, it's nearly died out, but it's Denmark, Sweden, Finland, or Norwegian or Norway. So a lot of people came over and settled. What a scandies, um, eh? Trying to get out of the grim yeah. weather they got. Exactly. Um, uh, Swedish? Just because noose-ish Swedish? You, you stick him with, I tell you what, I'm going to give you an option here. You can eliminate two questions and then you'll be left with 50-50, basically. So Do it's obviously think- not It's obviously not Swedish. <laughs> no. <laughs> so I'm going to take away Sweden and Denmark and you're left with Finland or Norway. Well, then I'm going to go Finland because of Finnish. Is that your final answer? Yeah, it is, even though I'm not, I'm not, uh, I don't like you, the way you're looking at me, but uh, we'll, we'll go that, with it. Maybe that's the, I don't know, I, I'm just, yeah, it, it's actually correct. Finland. Yes, plus get in. <laughs> <laughs> so, Moosish is a mix of Latin and Finnish. That which is, is so random. In 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 um yeah in Noosa. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued now why uh the why the Finnish uh, were were so keen on Noosa. Well, I know why they're keen because it's lovely, but yeah. what, what brought them over? It's interesting. Exactly. Um, it's it's fast fast fascinating and often quite a problematic history as well with that Aboriginal land being taken and stuff. But it's it's still a fascinating and complex cultural uh, history. Right. But anyway, um, question number four. Okay. This last what? one. This is the last one. It's only four questions. Um, otherwise, the whole podcast would just... We, we should just do one podcast. It's just the hometown quiz for an hour. But uh, I don't think we get as many listeners. <laughs> no, I don't think we would. Yeah. <laughs> right, Freddie. What is, what is a midden? M-I-D-D-E-N. What is a midden? They're, they're found all over the world in certain places, but there's quite a few of them in Noosa. Okay. Midden. So what is a midden? Is it... A, an ancient shallow grave. B, a narrow fishing boat. C, a mound of shell debris. Or D, a group of trees near water. Whoa. Yeah, a midden. So, was, what was the what was the shell one? Sorry. A mound of shell debris. I mean, being next to the the beach, I'm, I'm, that probably sounds like the only one that uh, would make any sense. So let's, let's just go with the, the shell. It's correct. <laughs> there you go, mate. Four, baby. I'll take oh, it. tell you what, mate. There was no real hesitation. It's not a shallow grave. It's not a narrow fishing boat. It's not a group of trees. It is a well, mound it of boat, sh- actually, as well, couldn't it? It could, yeah, it could have been. I mean, the others are just completely made up, but um, it's a mound of shell debris. And over, we're talking over centuries. So what the archaeologists have looked at these big mounds of shell debris, um, and there's also other things in the mix, and it gives you an indication of what the people were eating at the time and what social habits were forming. during. The, so th- these can be, some of them are a thousand years old, but they've, yeah. the local inhabitants have used them. And they've basically almost become fossilized at the bottom. But you get them. Well, there's a ma- enormous ones in Argentina as well. Midden. Mm. There you go, mate. There you go. Yeah, there, there is a. It is a very uh, shelly uh, beachfront. Uh, Noosa. If you walk along, there's plenty of a uh, plenty of lovely things that you can pick up. So that's that's why it stuck out. But uh, there you go. 
Well, there you go. So, um, well, 100%. Well done, mate. Uh, let's get a round of applause from our live studio audience. So, um, what's next? What's next? Uh, in two weeks, there's a, there's a race in Barcelona um, called uh, – it's the Gravel Earth uh, Series um, organized by Classmark, which is a um, – organization from Girona actually which hosts uh, the tracker which is a big one each year okay um so yeah they're actually quite a lot of the bigger european uh well all of the big european riders will, will be there so um but yeah having having a bit of a rest now um uh, after, after a couple of weeks away and yeah just uh, enjoying it um looking forward to seeing the vuelta tomorrow and um all's good mate that's good well just one thing i did want to ask you and again it it's the more I think about it, the more relevant it is. And then again, um, we, we do share a lot from our parents sometimes, whether we like it or not. Like mm. your dad's versatility at several distances, middle distance mm. and further, and also shorter. Yeah, he, um, was, he was nuts. Yeah, I mean, his, his Olympic goal was in the discipline that wasn't his best discipline, 800 metres, Moscow. He, 1500 was more what he was known yeah. for, but again. And then, but, but you, you look at what you've done um, and what you're doing now. You're doing events six, seven, five, six, seven hours sometimes. And yet, you were one of the one of the one of the main trailblazers in esports in the early days. You know, silver medalist in the in the in the in the in the esports UCI esports world on Zwift. You regularly win in some of the biggest Swift races, and very different than what you're doing now. So you clearly mm. have, although you you said you weren't a crit rider, knowing how quick you can sprint and the the, the high power numbers that you can sustain, and what you're doing now, and you have a really broad range. I mean, are you finding? Do you think you've found your physiological place, your optimum physiological place, or are you still on a little bit of a voyage of discovery trying to th find out what you're best at? Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't say the eight, nine, 10 hour races are, are my forte, but by no means like um, the, the anaerobic stuff just comes really naturally to me, obviously right. with, with, with dad's uh, history and uh, Zwift is like the perfect platform that I can show that. Um, yeah. and I, I understand the racing there really well, so um, I, I know uh, I know how to utilize my power. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm definitely training more to to obviously excel at the longer races because that those are the races that are, have for, for whatever reason have been chosen as the most important races in gravel. And if you yeah. if you want to consider yourself a pro, then you you better show up to the to the big races. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm I feel like I'm constantly sort of tweaking and changing my physiology and, and asking like a lot from it each year in different ways. Um, but I, I forever will always be grateful to Zwift and will always spend a lot of time on Zwift. Like I, yeah. I, I consider Zwift like a, a, my winter sport, like a kind of like, a you know, Macho and, and Wout and Tom do a CX in winter and then move to the road. I kind of, I do a Zwift racing in, in winter and, and then enjoy uh, uh, training and racing on that and, and before moving to the gravel. And um, I, I think a lot of guys are sort of like, uh, they look at something like uh, Zwift or, or cyclocross or, or, or shorter racing and, and think that it's not, it's not enough. It, you know, it's not, there's not enough hours around it to, to build a strong base, but there's constantly these guys are proving that, um, you know, intensity in racing is, is never a bad thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I'm just doing what I, what I want 
to do and want to do well at and, and, and not really thinking about uh, if it's suited to me or not, just thinking about how, how can I prepare for it so it does suit me. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, like I run a marathon at the end of each year because I, I enjoy <laughs> it and I, and I want to just just finish the year on something crazy. And I I was thinking yesterday, I was like, shit, I haven't really run much this year, but then it's just like, all right, we've got a couple of months, let's, let's work it out. And um, th- I think that whole process of working out how to prepare for an event and then seeing if it works and then going back and, and then tweaking it to make sure it does work is, is kind of like, it's kind of what I, why I do this uh, yeah. sport. You know, I just, I love the process. I love preparing and, and, and sort of pulling all the resources I possibly can together and then seeing if it works out or not. And um, from, from like being super unprepared to running like a marathon or being extremely prepared to, to racing, uh, you know, unbound next year, for example, it's, there, there's just a million different ways to skin a cat. And, and I, I love that. Uh, I love that you can also line up with people who've done something prepared completely opposite to you, but you might still end up in the same group. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> it, it's fascinating. That, just on that. I mean, that's, I mean, when you compare that to the road, you've obviously come from the road, you've drawn a lot from the road. You could probably go back to the road at some point if you needed to, but why not do the two? But they're kind of dropping a marathon in the mix is also quite interesting, although there are some some pros who would do like a triathlon off-season or something like that. So yeah. it's not hyper unusual. But just because of... Are you coached or are you just to do it yourself? I'm just interested in how how like a cycling coach or an endurance coach would factor in like, oh, Freddie now wants to do a marathon. How do we, <laughs> how do we yeah. get ahead around that? <laughs> um, a coach, coach is in as a cyclist, you mean? Yeah. Are, are you, yeah. Do you have a coach? Yeah. I do, yeah. I actually yeah. work with uh, the great Marco Panotti, um, who I met at BMC. Hey, yeah. I know Marco really well. Do you Legend. know what, Marco, back in the 90s, he's such a lovely guy, isn't he? He's their Legend, TT expert, mate. isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's, he's, just... he's, he's now with Jayco, isn't he? He is, um, yeah. But he, he sent me his CV. I had a, a cutting story short, it's just a funny little story. He sent me his CV to turn pro for a British Conti team I was riding for wow. back in like 1999 before I'd turned pro for McCartney. And then we raced against each other in the Duro and that. And now he's doing what he's doing. But we, I always make time to say hi, but what a lovely guy. He oh, sent me like a, it was a folder, because back then, no emails. He sent me a big envelope with photo of his CV to give to my direct sport. I can imagine. I can imagine. He's so articulate and, and so uh, well organized. And uh, he, he, he coaches me purely um, through interest. And, and I, I'm forever grateful for that. He's, he's coached me now for, well, since I met him at BMC in 2019 right. onwards. And okay. um, we don't, we don't chat sort of uh, that much, you know, sort of fortnightly, I'd say, and just, you know, exchanges, but he, he just follows what I do with interest. And I, I really appreciate it. But, um, yeah, he, he's seen my running shenanigans and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a comment every now and then, but he, he just lets me be me and, and I, yeah. I, I, I run where it, uh, where it fits into my schedule and where I, where I want to. And he, he knows that I can get away with it. Um, where purely from my, from my background, I, I would not recommend it to, to anyone, uh, who hasn't, uh, had a long period of time running. Um, yeah. It's just it's just very dangerous to to pick up an injury, which I I, I remember in Drona a few years ago. There was 
cyclists are very uh, obsessive characters and and yeah. once they're like oh uh, you know i'm resting but i can run in the off season because you know it, it keeps me fit and i you know stay in shape and then they start they decide to run a little bit more a little bit faster a little bit faster they're always running way too fast um <laughs> i always say to them like why are you running like as hard as you can for your run like do you do you step out the door and just put it at 450 watts up the first climb <laughs> They're like, they're like, no. And they're, why are you, why are you running as hard as you can? Just go for I'm a jog, for, yeah. walk for a little yeah. bit if you want. Enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, these guys are like literally would pick up stress fractures, which is just insane. Um, yeah, to yeah. to start their cycling uh, preparation with a stress fracture. But um, I love to run. It's it's like therapeutic for me. It's yeah. something that I can do with my partner um, and spend time with her and. Uh, and then just being uh, fortunate enough to, to run. Uh, I did Berlin last year. I'm, I'm running New York uh, this year. Fantastic. Um, it, it's just special to, to experience that whole build up the days before. Uh, the, the race itself is just, it, it's special yeah. to, to run through the, the crowds. And it's just very positive and infectious to, to be around people who are just trying to do something not because anyone's told them they have to, just because they've, they've, they've set out to do it and, 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 and it's a struggle for most of them, but most of them overcome it and that's it's just nice to be around and, and it's a nice way to finish my season. Fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, oh, hold on a minute. Um, I've got a funny... Random question alert. Random question alert. Random question alert. It is time for a random a question. Oh, just one second. I just sorry. Everywhere I go, um, it's part of my. I won't go into details. It's a little bit. It's a bit awkward, really. But um, Sigma Sports have installed this computer, old school computer from the sixties, and I have to take it at great expense everywhere I go. Random questions been generated, mate. I've nothing to do with this question, but this will wrap up the uh, the podcast with this, and I have to ask you this question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Here we go. If there was a magic button you could press that made you win your next race, but also made one of your fellow privateers crash out of the race, minor injuries, minor injuries, but DNF, would you press that button? <laughs> can, can, I choose, can, I, can I choose the person that, that crashes out? I'd imagine. Yes, you can. <laughs> Then yes, definitely, because there's a few that I would uh, happily see uh, crash out. Uh, not crash out badly, because I, I incurred Mine. a very bad crash in the start of the year, and I don't wish that upon anyone. But um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a few guys that uh, I would just not like to be around for five, six, seven hours, honestly. Fair enough. So just a minor so yes. deviation into a bush or something going just down. Just stuck in some mud ravine. and topple yeah. over very slightly, yeah, but never yeah. see him again. Yeah. That's <laughs> no. Uh, I'm not going to ask you the names of these people. I don't think that'd be very helpful. But um, I think, yeah, yeah, I'm sure I think, you could work it out. I, I think I think I can work it out, work it out quite easily. Um, but do you know what? Now, Freddie, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate. Actually, a quick one before we wrap up, um, mm. which is important to everybody who's on. I mean, you're not on a trade team, but just list us your key sponsors. Who who looks yeah, after you? No specialized. I appreciate up there. that. I appreciate that. Yeah, um, Zwift. Zwift is the big one. Uh, we've already spoken about them this year. They, they've been something that I've, I've been 
sort of taking seriously for since lockdown. That, that's yeah. when I was really sort of introduced to Swifton and uh, never looked back. And um, yeah, I was working with them with Legion and, and they were um, kind enough to sort of continue that cool. um, relationship. Um, Eric Min and then uh, formerly Steve Beckett there, um, great guys. And just, um, yeah, really excited to, to continue working with them, hopefully for many years to come. Um, specialized, um, uh, I think it's really hard to argue against them as being the, the best bikes in the world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're just, they're just the amount of research and, and, uh, attention to detail is second to none. And, um, they, they look after me, uh, very well, um, equipped with SRAM that, that the whole SRAM and, and zip and hammerhead, that whole, um, umbrella have really taken to gravel actually. And, and, um, the, the obviously being American companies and, and having them at the U S races, is just really fun. They're just a really, they're just really fun company to work with SRAM and, uh, they, they, they enjoy the, the expo and the hangouts, uh, the days before, um, which is nice. Um, and on top of that, I, I represent a foundation, a Phoenix foundation, um, which is actually a foundation trying to get kids from globally involved in sport at a higher level and kids that might not right. actually have, um, opportunities to, to reach a professional level, but have um, been scouted by Phoenix as having talent. Uh, through camps and and uh, things like that, and um, yeah, it's really nice to represent something like that, something um, far more important than what I'm doing, and just getting kids in uh, on bikes, uh, whether or swimming or triathlon or things like that. So uh, those are those are my key partners, um, and and they allow me to to do what I do, and um, and then obviously I'm wearing uh, Map Clothing, Australian based company, so uh, the roots there are strong. Um, and, and, and just lovely to work with, uh, as we spoke about earlier, people that really care about, uh, aesthetics and style and things like that. And, uh, yeah, just, uh, just nice to chat with a couple of Aussies each week as well, to be honest. So, um, yeah, thank right you to, to all the buff and, uh, long may it continue. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Freddie, having you on. It's been a great chat. We could have gone on for a lot longer. Uh, well done on the quiz. We'll have to dig deep through our archives and see if there's anybody uh, who I think there's one or two but certainly not many you're in the top it's probably 1%. the only thing that I could beat all your other guests at because it's definitely not cycling so I'll, I'll, I'll take it stop it no it's been a pleasure thank you so much for your time good luck in the next event good luck in the marathon at the end of the year as well uh, and um, no doubt our, our, our polls will cross I've got some commentary coming up with Zwift in the winter as well so I've no doubt I'll be um, commentating on your uh, and some Zwifting in the winter mate but you you take care of yourself and uh, thanks again mate thank you mate appreciate it Nobody can be angry with me for being me. I love that quote. It's actually pretty profound. He is his own boss, and it's kind of up to him. I guess that keeps him super, super focused, and the only person he can let down is himself. And what a great guy Freddie is. That was an absolute pleasure. I really, really enjoyed this podcast, and I hope you do too. Thanks, Freddie, for joining me on the podcast today, and I hope that Mads Pedersen listens to this one to repay the favour. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry Apgwinner for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod, and why not recommend it to anyone who, just like me, is just going to pop out to run an end-of-season marathon. Cheers all, stay safe, and goodbye.